0: SECTION Twenty One OF FOLKLORE AND LEGENDS, ENGLISH. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. FOLKLORE AND LEGENDS, ENGLISH, BY CHARLES JOHN TIBBETS. THE WORM OF LAMPTON. THE YOUNG HEIR OF LAMPTON, led a dissolute and evil course of life, equally regardless of the obligations of his high estate and the sacred duties of religion. According to his profane custom, he was fishing on a Sunday, and threw his line into the river to catch fish, at a time when all good men should have been engaged in the solemn observance of the day, After having toiled in vain for some time, he vented his disappointment at his ill success in curses loud and deep to the great scandal of all who heard him on their way to holy mass and to the manifest peril of his own soul. At length he felt something extraordinary tugging at his line, and in the hope of catching a large fish, he drew it up with the utmost skill and care yet it required all his strength to bring the expected fish to land. What was his surprise and mortification when, instead of a fish, he found that he had only caught a worm of most unseemly and disgusting appearance? He hastily tore it from his hook and threw it into a well hard by. He again threw in his line and continued to fish, when a stranger of venerable appearance passing by asked him, "'What sport?' to which he replied, "'I think I've caught the devil,' and directed the inquirer to look into the well. The stranger saw the worm, and remarked that he had never seen the like of it before, that it was like an eft, but that it had nine holes on each side of its mouth, and tokened no good.' The worm remained neglected in the well, but soon grew so large that it became necessary to seek another abode. It usually lay in the daytime coiled round a rock in the middle of the river, and at night frequented a neighboring hill, twining itself around the base, and it continued to increase in length until it could lap itself three times around the hill. It now became the terror of the neighborhood, devouring lambs, sucking the cow's milk, and committing every species of injury on the cattle of the affrighted peasantry. The immediate neighborhood was soon laid waste, and the worm, finding no further support on the north side of the river, crossed the stream towards Lambton Hall, where the old lord was then living in grief and sorrow, the young heir of Lambton having repented him of his former sins and gone to the wars in a far distant land. The terrified household assembled in council, and it was proposed by the steward, a man far advanced in years and of great experience, that the large trough which stood in the courtyard should be filled with milk. The monster approached, and, eagerly drinking the milk, returned, without inflicting further injury, to repose around its favorite hill. The worm returned the next morning, crossing the stream at the same hour and directing its way to the hall. The quantity of milk to be provided was soon found to be the product of nine cows, and if any portion short of this quantity was neglected or forgotten, The worm showed the most violent signs of rage by lashing its tail around the trees in the park and tearing them up by the roots. Many a gallant knight of undoubted fame and prowess sought to slay this monster, which was the terror of the whole countryside, and it is related that in these mortal combats, although the worm had been frequently cut asunder, yet the several parts had immediately reunited, and the valiant assailant never escaped without the loss of life or limb, so that, after many fruitless and fatal attempts to destroy the worm, it remained at length in tranquil possession of its favorite hill, all men fearing to encounter so deadly an enemy. At length, after seven long years, the gallant heir of Lambton returned from the wars of Christendom, and found the broad lands of his ancestors laid waste and desolate. He heard the wailings of the people, for their hearts were filled with terror and alarm. He hastened to the hall of his ancestors, and received the embraces of his aged father, worn out with sorrow and grief, both for the absence of his son, whom he had considered dead, and for the dreadful waste inflicted on his fair domain by the devastations of the worm. He took no rest until he crossed the river to examine the worm, as it lay coiled around the base of the hill, and being a knight of tried valor and sound discretion, and hearing the fate of all those who had fallen in the strife, he consulted a sibyl on the best means to be pursued to slay the monster he was told that he himself had been the cause of all the misery which had been brought upon the country, which increased his grief and strengthened his resolution. He was also told that he must have his best suit of mail studded with spear blades, and, taking his stand on the rock in the middle of the river, commend himself to providence and the might of his sword, first making a solemn vow if successful to slay the first living thing he met, or, if he failed to do so, the lords of Lambton for nine generations would never die in their beds. He made the solemn vow in the chapel of his forefathers and had his coat studded with the blades of the sharpest spears. He took his stand on the rock in the middle of the river and, unsheathing his trusty sword, which had never failed him in time of need, he commended himself to the will of providence at the accustomed hour the worm uncoiled its lengthened folds and leaving the hill took its usual course towards lambton hall and approached the rock where it sometimes reposed the knight nothing dismayed struck the monster on the head with all his might and main but without producing any other visible effect in irritating and vexing the worm, which, closing on the knight, clasped its frightful coils around him and endeavored to strangle him in its poisonous embrace. The knight was, however, provided against this dangerous extremity, for the more closely he was pressed by the worm, the more deadly were the wounds inflicted by his coat of spear blades until the river ran with gore. The strength of the worm diminished as its efforts increased to destroy the knight, who, seizing a favorable opportunity, made such a good use of his sword that he cut the monster in two. The severed part was immediately carried away by the current, and the worm, being thus unable to reunite itself, was, after a long and desperate conflict, destroyed by the gallantry and courage. OF THE KNIGHT OF Lambton. THE AFFLICTED HOUSEHOLD WERE DEVOUTLY ENGAGED IN PRAYER DURING THE COMBAT, BUT ON THE FORTUNATE ISSUE THE KNIGHT, ACCORDING TO PROMISE, BLEW A BLAST ON HIS BUGLE TO ASSURE HIS FATHER OF HIS SAFETY, AND THAT HE MIGHT LET LOOSE HIS FAVORITE HOUND, WHICH WAS DESTINED TO BE THE SACRIFICE. THE AGED FATHER, FORGETTING EVERYTHING BUT HIS PARENTAL FEELINGS, Rushed forward to embrace his son. When the knight beheld his father, he was overwhelmed with grief. He could not raise his arm against his parent, but hoping that his vow might be accomplished, and the curse averted by destroying the next living thing he met, he blew another blast on his bugle. His favourite hound broke loose and bounded to receive his caresses, when the gallant knight, with grief and reluctance, once more drew his sword, still reeking with the gore of the monster, and plunged it into the heart of his faithful companion. But, in vain, the prediction was fulfilled, and the Sibyl's curse pressed heavily on the house of Lambton for nine generations. End of section 21 Recording by Linda Johnson.